If we're if we're able to lift the Lord's name on high this morning, we've uh, we've had a successful day and a successful week. We're continuing in our study in Matthew 16. Please turn to Matthew 16, and uh, we'll review briefly that um, two weeks ago, Michael uh, presented the passage about the Gentile woman and her impassioned, urgent plea to the Lord Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. The Lord put hurdles in her path, which she overcame. And the Lord granted her request, and he commended her for her great faith. Last week, Noad um, presented the portion of Scripture on the feeding of the 4,000. It was from the Lord's mercy. It was by his... um, compassion, his grace, that um, he was compelled to feed these people. They'd continued with him for three days, and they were hungry. And so the Lord uh, miraculously fed them. Jesus exercised his creative power. He set aside the rules of nature for an act of the supernatural. And um, in doing so, the Lord Jesus showed yet another sign or proof of his deity and his messiahship. This week, just to get a quick geographical setting of, um, of our scripture, after feeding the crowd, the 4,000, um, Jesus dismissed them and he traveled with his disciples by boat to the region of Magdala, Mark, in his parallel account in uh, Mark 8.10, identifies the the town as uh, Dalmanutha. In any case, it's on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we'll be be flipping back and forth a little bit to um, Mark's account, and that's that's in Mark chapter 8. So um, that's where the first half of this morning's account takes place in the region of Magdala, and um, then midway through our uh, our account, the Lord, with his disciples, traveled by boat to the other side. We'll, um, we'll see that in our scripture. Um, and by other side, uh, they traveled to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee near the town of Bethsaida. With that, let's... Um, Let's read our scripture. And I have a convenient copy of it, which I'll find later. Matthew 16. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered it and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, do you not know, I'm sorry, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. 
Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Our uh, portion divides neatly into three divisions, and we'll look first at how the Lord Jesus met the offensive Pharisees and Sadducees and rebuked their hypocrisy. Then we'll look at how the Lord warned his disciples against the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but how they thoroughly misunderstood him. And then third, we'll look at the Lord Jesus explaining his warning to his disciples and chastising them for their dullness. And then, uh, as always, um, we will look at application of this to our lives today. Let's pray. Lord, we realize once again we have before us the powerful uh, word of, um, uh, of instruction for us as uh, as your followers, and we pray that you might speak to us in um, clear tones what you'd have us to do this week and through the remainder of our time on earth that we might delight you, we might please you. Uh, speak to us, warn us of um, of these uh, toxic doctrines and um, uh, encourage our faith, we ask, Lord Jesus, amen. The... Um, the Pharisees approached the Lord Jesus. They were an unlikely combination as they represented uh, two different extremes of Judaism, but they found a common objective in seeking to trip up the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees, you'll recall, were the religious formalists. They emphasized the appearance of righteousness while Inwardly, they were thoroughly corrupt. The Sadducees were the uh, rationalists of Judaism. They actually denied the supernatural, disbelieving even the resurrection and the existence of good and evil spirits. And these two groups united to discredit the Lord Jesus. Their purpose was to test him. Vine, in his Bible dictionary, defines that word test as to tempt or to ensnare. And these, um, these attempts to trap the Lord Jesus would become more frequent in, um, in his ministry. The Pharisees and Sadducees wanted a sign from heaven. 
They'd already witnessed the Lord Jesus' miracles on the earth as He ministered to people. Remember um, the healing of the paralytic. It's back in Matthew 9. Uh, and actually forgiving of the paralytic. He was uh, let down through the roof of, um, of the building uh, on a pallet. And uh, he was uh, visible to all. It was, uh, it was a miracle done uh, especially before the, um, the Pharisees. And then there was the healing of the man's withered hand on the Sabbath. Remember, uh, the Lord uh, told him to stretch out his hand and it was made as whole as the other. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted something more spectacular. They wanted something in the sky. Their motive was to incite the Lord Jesus to do something contrary to the law of God. They were already building a case against the Lord for uh, violating their man-made tradition. Um, Daniel pointed out a few weeks ago in Matthew 15 that the Pharisees had built a, an outer fence around the law, um, allegedly to prote- protect the law from uh, uh, from abuse, from disobedience. But um, through the years, the uh, the Pharisees and their followers could see only the fence. They they couldn't see the law anymore. They had this structure of um, of tradition of man made rules. These religious leaders were not asking for Messiah's credentials. They thought that if Jesus performed enough miracles, he would contradict himself. Bill MacDonald wrote in his commentary, standing in front of them was the greatest sign of all, the Lord Jesus himself. He was truly a sign who had come from heaven, but they had no appreciation for him. They heard his matchless works, saw his wonderful miracles, came in contact with an absolutely sinless man, God, manifest in the flesh. Yet in their blindness, they asked for a sign from heaven. This should ring uh, familiar to us because the devil, at the beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry, uh, as he came out of the the wilderness, um, the devil tempted him and demanded signs from Jesus even specifying what they should be, that he would turn these stones into bread. Uh, He'd fasted for 40 days. And then the second was to cast himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The Lord Jesus responded to the Pharisees in verse 2. He picks up their theme of the sky and uh, he recalls for them a weather proverb he, he says to them, it will be, um, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. We have a nice red sunset. The day is going to be fair tomorrow. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. So um, the proverb that we know today is uh, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. The red sky was a visible evidence of something 
yet to appear, something to come. The Pharisees and Sadducees accurately discerned natural signs, but they were profoundly blind to spiritual realities. They correctly recognized the face of the sky, but they willfully blinded themselves to the face of Messiah. Jesus condemned their self-willed blindness. He called them what they were, hypocrites. These religious leaders claimed to be God's elite, the Pharisees especially. They were uh, uh, stewards and guardians of God's truth among the nation to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. But they misrepresented God's truth and actually turned people away from the Lord instead of to him. He says, you cannot discern the signs of the times. What were the signs of the times? The Pharisees and Sadducees should have been able to distinguish these. This word sign is used with three different meanings in today's scripture portion. They, um, they all come from the same word in the original, and that original word is used in three different ways in this uh, scripture. The first way we're familiar with the sign was a, a miracle. It was a token of God's authority, of his, um, uh, of his power. And uh, Jesus worked those. He performed those to show uh, his credentials, that he is God manifest in the flesh. The second use of the word sign is as an indicator. It points to a person or thing to distinguish it from others. So this is the meaning uh, that the Lord Jesus uses here in the sign of the times. It's something that distinguishes today as different from other days. And we'll see a third meaning in the next verse. But what were the signs that pointed to the arrival of Messiah? We read in Matthew four twenty-three, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And in fact, our, um, our worship this morning uh, centered on a sign as well in Luke 4, as um, the Lord Jesus proclaimed the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Yet uh, another sign that he uh, that day fulfilled this scripture in their hearing. There was um, another sign uh, continuing on with, um, with the Lord's ministry in Galilee. John the Baptist in prison sent his disciples to ask the Lord, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor 
have the gospel preached to them. These were days of unparalleled significance for all history and for eternity. And these Pharisees and Sadducees were front row witnesses of these miracles. Peter would later preach, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or introduced or presented by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. God displayed his son through these wonders and signs. It was no secret. It was obvious. In a word, these religious leaders failed to see the clear and unescapable proofs of Jesus' Messiahship. These signs pointed to the arrival of the coming one. In condemning the Pharisees and Sadducees as hypocrites, the Lord Jesus showed the same vehemence, the same indignation toward these religious pretenders that he showed to the money changers as he drove them out of the the temple. The skeptic accuses Jesus of unrighteous anger. But in fact, it would have been unrighteous for him to be silent in the face of um, such... um, Apostasy, such uh, such disobedience, such hypocrisy, and so uh, Jesus um, condemns their hypocrisy. Mark recorded in uh, uh, eight twelve that Jesus at this point sighed deeply in his spirit. He was grieved at the disbelief, at the disobedience, at the um, pretension of the. Pharisees and Sadducees. And so he he tells him in verse 4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He calls them an adulterous generation. Adulterous because they turned their affection away from God as when a wife turns her affection to a man who is not her husband. The Lord uses the word generation. We think of um, people uh, sharing the same age in which they live. But this word may also refer to a people who share a common characteristic or pursuit. In this case, um, people who are unfaithful to their God. Jesus said, no sign shall be given. The Jewish leaders had rejected the Lord Jesus' signs that authenticated his deity, so only one sign remained, that of the prophet Jonah. The Lord's first use of the word sign was um, as a miracle uh, proving his divine authority. The second use of the word sign was as a distinction of an age. And the third use um, of a sign we see concerning the prophet Jonah was um, 
a warning. It was a warning to an offending people. How is it that we understand the sign of the prophet Jonah as a warning? Well, back in Matthew 12, in a very similar confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees, the Lord Jesus explained the sign of the prophet Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 39, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Bill MacDonald wrote in his commentary, the sign of the prophet Jonah referred to Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. Uh, Jonah was, um, uh, was swallowed and carried around by this fish for three days and three nights and finally uh, was um, disgorged up onto land. And the Lord Jesus says, uh, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the uh, heart of the earth, but um, we know that he will be raised again. This resurrection of the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? To the believer, Paul wrote to the Romans, Jesus our Lord was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Macintosh wrote, in raising up Jesus, God the Father demonstrated his infinite satisfaction in the great work of atonement and furnished us a receipt in full for all our debts. Hallelujah. God gives us that, uh, that proof that he is satisfied with the uh, with a sacrifice, with the payment Jesus made for my sins and yours. What brings joy to the believing heart strikes terror to the unbeliever. Christ's resurrection speaks of condemnation. How? We, um, we read in Acts 17... God now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Who is that man? That man is Jesus. And that man, um, uh, God has committed all judgment to The verse continues, He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God has ordained his judge. He has appointed a day. There is a day on the heavenly calendar in which he will judge the earth. And he has uh, has appointed his judge and certified this judgeship, if you will, by raising the judge from the dead. 
I beg you, you who hear this warning and are far from God, to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Because there is a day in which you will see him as judge if you do not accept him as your Savior. And he won't be trying to decide whether you've done good or evil. He's going to sentence you to a lost eternity. Our neighbors recently sold their house. And um, in the selling process, the, um, uh, the owner said that um, these, um, these letters that uh, potential buyers write are very powerful. They call them sweetheart letters. And what the potential buyer does is he uh, writes this letter to influence the seller and to show um, uh, personal information to the uh, to the seller um, to draw out the seller's sympathy and his um, his consideration. But um, my neighbor said that um, the fair housing laws no longer allow for these um, these sweetheart letters. Neither will you be able to make an appeal, a sweetheart appeal to the Lord Jesus in judgment. If you have rejected his salvation, if you stand before him as judge, there's not going to be any um, any acceptance. There's no way to draw his sympathy at that point. You cannot make yourself attractive to him. Uh, at that point, it's too late. And so again, I beg you, uh, by the authority of God's word, accept him, receive him as your savior today. Tomorrow may be too late. Very uh, somber um, finale to uh, Jesus' confrontation in verse 4. He left them and departed. He was through contending with the Pharisees and Sadducees. What a somber thought to see the Lord Jesus disappearing into the distance after this one last opportunity for uh, repentance. It's a frightening farewell. Jesus had denounced their blindness and their hypocrisy. He had refused their misguided request for a sign. He pointed instead to the sign of the prophet Jonah, which was to them a warning of condemnation. And then finally, he withdrew from them. It reminds me of um, the counsel the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 14. Three simple words, let them alone, let them alone. And so in the, in the next portion, the Lord Jesus warns his disciples against the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In verse five, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. We should sympathize. In, um, 
all the excitement of the past few days of the Lord's ministry, it's understandable, it's uh, reasonable that they would have forgotten to take food with them. In verse 6, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples had followed the Lord Jesus for less than two years, and they were still impressionable. The Pharisees and Sadducees, on the other hand, were uh, probably old and had been well steeped in their doctrine much of their lives. And uh, think back, if you will, to Saul of Tarsus and how he grew up uh, as a Pharisee with, um, with this um, maze of traditions. The Pharisees and Sadducees would have been imposing in their robes and uh, their religious manner. So Jesus' warning to his disciples was well-aimed, well-timed, and appropriately placed. He says, Be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We remember leaven from previous studies as um, always a symbol of evil in the Bible. It spreads slowly and quietly, affecting everything that it touches. And uh, uh, really... Um, Leaven is a, a sourdough lump. It's um, you mix it with uh, with other wheat, with other flour, and it uh, leavens the entire batch. So um, the Lord Jesus is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. What was that? The Pharisees had a zeal for the law, but only for the appearance associated with the law. So. They would uh, disfigure their faces when they were fasting. They um, uh, they would keep the Sabbath in um, incredibly um, uh, unnecessary ways. Uh, they they had this appearance. They they were after the um, the glory of men. Assuredly, they have their reward. Nicodemus in in uh, John three shows us just how blind. The Pharisees were to uh, spiritual truth. Nicodemus, a uh, leader of um, the Pharisees, and yet um, totally caught off guard by the Lord Jesus requiring him to be born again. The, um, the Pharisees added traditions like uh, ceremonial hand-washing and uh, the wearing of phylacteries, these little boxes um, uh, that contained scripture portions, um, they prided themselves in claiming to keep the minutest details of God's law when, in fact, they were breaking the most fundamental of His commandments. The Pharisees were self-righteous, self-justifying. They believed themselves to be right with God simply on the basis of law-keeping. That's the leaven of the Pharisees, briefly. The Sadducees were skeptical toward supernatural things. They did not believe even the resurrection. In Matthew 22, 
commenting on this disbelief, the Lord Jesus says, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Mark's uh, parallel account includes the leaven of the Herodians. The Herodians were conspicuously skeptical. They were immoral and worldly. And so the Lord Jesus uh, warns his disciples against the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. The disciples, in verse 7, they reason among themselves, saying, it is because we've taken no bread. They made the illogical jump from doctrinal corruption to physical bread. It was a, an indication of the sad state of the disciples' hearts. By warning them of leaven, the Lord was focusing on spiritual reality and on the, um, the welfare, the soul welfare of his followers. The, the, uh, the disciples, on the other hand, could not keep from focusing on the physical, on the uh, leaven of bread. The disciples further assumed that they had disappointed the Lord in not bringing bread. Left in this state to themselves, things could easily get out of hand. They, in their collective ignorance, were headed down the wrong path. So there's a lesson here in discipleship. Reasoning is good. Reasoning with wise counselors is better. And seeking the Lord's reasoning is best. Possibly the disciples were afraid to ask the Lord for clarification. In uh, Luke 9, the Lord told the disciples about his, um, his coming death and the disciples were afraid to ask him the meaning of that. A couple chapters back, uh, in uh, Matthew 13, the disciples asked the Lord for clarification. They, they asked the meaning of his, uh, of his parables, and they did right. They didn't understand. They wanted to understand. Here, however, they try to hide their confusion from the Lord. And thankfully, the Lord intervened. In verse 8, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you brought no bread. Contrast the little faith of the disciples with the great faith of the Gentile woman who sought the Lord's healing for her demon-possessed daughter. The Lord has realistic, reasonable expectations for his disciples, then and now. He has goals for increasing faith and maturity and understanding of his disciples. Understandably, he expects more of disciples who had ministered with him for a couple years than the woman who knew him only from a distance. 
He's disappointed when we don't grow and fulfill those reasonable, realistic expectations. He doesn't um, directly uh, answer the um, the disciples' confusion in verse nine. He says, um, "Do you not yet understand or remember?" the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. So, two separate instances. The Lord, having only five loaves, fed 5,000 plus. And by that we mean... uh, that was the men, include the women and children. There were probably closer to, to 20,000. And there were uh, 12 baskets left over. Then um, from seven loaves, he fed 4,000. But he says, how many large baskets did you take up? Large Basket. They took up seven large baskets. Isn't this faithful provision what the Lord had assured the disciples of back in his Sermon on the Mount? He told them, Do not, therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. After quieting the the disciples' concern over food, he now redirects their attention to the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In verse 11, How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? In verse 6, he had warned the disciples to take heed and beware. Those words we could translate, recognize, recognize the leaven, the doctrinal leaven, and guard against it, take heed. And beware. In verse um, verse 12, happily they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. By application, those uh, you who do not know the Lord do not look for another sign. Rather, discern the signs of the times that uh, Jesus has given you another day, but that he, God has fixed that date on his calendar and he will judge sin by the man whom he's ordained and uh, shown by raising him from the dead. For God's followers, recognize and resist the corrupt 
law-keeping of the Pharisees and the skepticism of the Sadducees. It's so interesting that 2,000 years later, the leaven stays the same. We're still faced with um, with this um, self-righteousness, the uh, uh, salvation, we think, based on uh, law-keeping, and then the uh, disbelief of the Sadducees just looking at what... Um, What's below heaven? Another application is to trust the Lord for his provision. The Lord Jesus is able. The Lord Jesus is willing to provide. Keep in mind the Lord Jesus' question to the disciples. How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Recognize the abundance of the Lord Jesus in his provision for you. Extend your trust in the Lord for daily bread to include also the provision for your financial income, for a godly mate, for a place to live, for children to raise for him, for ministry opportunities and effectiveness, and for souls to bring to him. Keep a, uh, keep a basket close in hand to remind of how the Lord overflowed. He overprovided for the, uh, the needs of the disciples. They, they took up the leftover fragments. Keep a memorial booklet of the Lord's provision for you. Record answers to prayer. Keep it in a place easy to find to remind you of the Lord's generosity when you're tempted to doubt and discouragement. What a, what a comfort to open and read how the Lord provided in times of, um, of need, uh, times of distress. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for being the confronter of uh, bad doctrine that um, you are the true and faithful witness. Um, You're not content to let uh, falsehoods lie, but will confront them. Thank you for your patience in teaching your disciples that um, you don't um, uh, criticize us for coming to you and asking for uh, explanations for those things we don't understand. We we just need the... um, Uh, the courage to come to you and uh, request your help. We pray, Lord, that um, we might be specialists in recognizing your provision for us, that you are generous, that you overflow us with with abundance. Uh, You work wondrously in our lives. Uh, What a God we serve. What a Savior we have in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you in your name. Amen.